open in your Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew. And we're going to take a look as we continue. Matthew 6, we're going through the Sermon on the Mount. And we've come to verse 19. That's one thing when you go through a whole passage or a whole book of Scripture is you just go to the next passage. You don't get to pick what you like and what you don't like. You preach what's there. And that's not only good for you guys, it's good for the pastor so he doesn't get on hobby horses and just pick the things he wants to preach on. So Matthew 6, we continue on in our series, verse 19. And Jesus definitely meddles in this text. Let's stand together for the reading of God's Word. Matthew six, nineteen. We're going to read to verse 24. Hear the Word of God to you this morning. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness. No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Thus ends the reading of God's holy and errant word. May he bless it to our hearts and lives this morning. Please be seated. We didn't read the whole context, so let me just mention to you, Jesus goes on to say, therefore, don't worry about what you'll wear, what you'll eat, what you'll drink. And then he says, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. So really, that is the punchline of that whole section. So what comes to your mind when you hear the word or the words, kingdom of God? It's used a lot in the Bible. We hear people talk about kingdom prayers and um, being kingdom focused. But here's the question. When we go to work, when we go to school, when we go to play, when we just recreate, um, whatever we do, how does your understanding of being a part of the kingdom of God impact your day on a daily, day-to-day basis? I asked about a dozen Christians, some young in the faith, some old in the faith. Some old in age, some young in age, different genders. And I asked them, what do you think of when you think of the kingdom of God? Some gave me some definitions, but almost all, if not all of them, basically came up with the kingdom of God is heaven. And so they just basically saw it as the future kingdom that God will bring in someday when Jesus comes. 
Now that answer is completely understandable because even in Matthew's Gospel, sometimes Jesus will refer to the kingdom of heaven that way, as the future consummated heavenly kingdom of his Father. But the problem with that definition, when you just say it's just that, is it misses the rich, multidimensional view that the Bible clearly gives us when it talks about the kingdom. The kingdom of God, to give you a definition, is simply this. It's just this. The reign and the rule of God. When you enter into the kingdom, you're entering into the reign and the rule of God. You are no longer the boss. Jesus is. The culture no longer sets the pace and we as Christians just follow along by the nose. No. Now, King Jesus reigns. He calls the shots. He tells us how to think. He tells us how we should be feeling in terms of our affections, what we should set them on. And He tells us the behavior that is fit for children of the kingdom. How many times throughout the Sermon on the Mount, He says, your father, your father, your father, your father. It's all about that family ethic. When we behave in a manner that's sinful, we're behaving in a manner that's uncharacteristic of who we are. That's what Jesus is saying. When Jesus came, he served notice, the kingdom of God has come upon you. It's been inaugurated. It's now here. No, it will not be fully realized in all its glory until King Jesus comes back the second time to right all wrongs and to set up his throne for all to see. But Jesus makes it clear that the kingdom can be entered into now. He says it can be furthered now on earth. He calls us to pray, thy kingdom what? Come, thy will be done. What? On earth as it is in heaven. And then he says this crazy thing. And he says it to the religious leaders. They always get a lot of lessons. Unfortunately, they didn't always take it to heart. But he says the kingdom of God is within you. He makes it very clear that his followers are to follow the beat of a different drummer. So that's what we're going to see as we look at this passage in particular. He, Jesus gives us this radical kingdom perspective. And the way that our culture is today, it's even more radical than it ever was. And all we're going we're to look at this morning is simply this. This is the main Our master gives us his kingdom perspective on worldly wealth and worldly care. So here's Jesus giving you the kingdom perspective on dinero, buku dolores, money, soldi in Italian. See, I'm learning some stuff because I'm going to go over there, soldi. So that's what we're going to see here, what our perspective as children of the kingdom should be. And the first question that we're going to look at is where's your treasure? Because that's what Jesus asks. Look at verse 19 with me. Do not store for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus contrasts right here in this text and in his sermon, the two types of treasures that we could set our hearts on. 
The one type of treasure is earthly and thus temporary in nature. You know, he who dies with the most toys wins nothing. Because we brought nothing into the world and we can't take anything out. The other kind of treasure is eternal. It lasts forever. And no one can take it away. So here's the question. What happens when your heart is set on worldly wealth? What happens when it's destroyed by moth and rust or stolen by thieves? Here's what happens. You're ruined. You're undone. I've seen folks in tragedies, and and I I guess it could have been seen as insensitive, but they literally acted like their whole life was over because possessions were ruined. And we should mourn with those who lose things. we, We don't minimize that, but on the other hand, we should not mourn as those without hope. We look at people who put all the money in the stock market. When the stock market falls, what happens? We hear a lot about suicides, don't we? We hear a lot about about people without hope because all their dreams go with money. But listen to this. This is what Jesus is saying. The man who doesn't hoard his wealth and his possessions, but shares with those in need, who gives to others to relieve their suffering and give them better opportunities to realize their potential for the kingdom of God, of God. That man, according to our Lord's own word, is amassing for himself, this is so cool, heavenly riches that will never depreciate, never fade, never perish, and never wear out. The man who gives it all loses nothing. It's pretty interesting. A man was driving home from a funeral, I like this story, with his pastor. And he said, Poor Richard, he didn't leave much property. Too bad. He worked so hard and made money, but he was too tender-hearted. I like this. I think every beggar in town must have known him. After listening politely, the pastor just simply said this. I suppose what you say is right about him having no property, but I imagine from what I've known of his life that he must have considerable property to go to. Jesus is saying, what about you? Where are you storing your treasures? For what do you labor and toil? For things that spoil and fade? What are you investing the best of your time, your money, and your talents in? Temporal things that you can't take with you? Or eternal treasures that will last forever? Now Jesus isn't saying that we, some people believe this, but I don't believe he's saying this, that we shouldn't ever save for the future. Or that we shouldn't work hard to provide for ourselves and those who depend on us. He's not even saying, check this out, He's not even saying that it's wrong for us to enjoy the lawful pleasures and refreshments that material blessings afford us if God graciously chooses to bless us with plenty. Uh, We know this because 1 Timothy, Paul says, those who are rich in this world, he says, should be generous. Um, And he talks about how God gives us these things so richly for us to enjoy. There's nothing wrong with that. But let me tell you what he is saying. John Stott puts it well for us. He says, What Jesus forbids his followers is the selfish accumulation of goods, extravagant and luxurious living, the hard-heartedness which does not feel the colossal need of the world's underprivileged people, the foolish fantasy that a man's life consists in the abundance of his possessions, and the materialism which tethers our hearts to earth. 
Wasn't that eloquent? See, here's how people think who belong to this world and who aren't a part of God's kingdom. They think if I give to this needy person or to this heavenly cause, to those poor people, I'll lose everything I worked for and I'll never see it again. But those who belong to Christ and are citizens of His kingdom realize that it's the only way to guarantee you're ever going to see it again is by giving it away. I got an awesome illustration for this and Charlie does and I, I forgot to tell him this. I keep forgetting. Charlie did, did a really nice thing for the church. We, were, we really needed a computer. And so he said, take one. I, I got a couple in my office. Just take one and you can bring it to the church and I'll donate it. I said, man, really? You sure? He said, yeah. I said, thanks so much. And we took one and that's the one we're, we use um, at the church. And then guess what happened? Sandy. Remember Sandy? The rest of your computers were ruined, weren't they? The one you gave away <laughs> was saved. <laughs> I mean, that's a little you know, illustration, but that just shows you give it away in God's kingdom and you will get it back again. I just thought that was awesome. So the question is, where is your heart this very moment? Is it in heaven with Jesus where you've been storing up lasting treasures by investing your time, your money, your energy, your passion? There's an old song that we used to sing back in the day and it says this, I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. I'd rather have Jesus than riches untold. I'd rather have Jesus than houses or lands. I'd rather be led by His nail-pierced hands than to be the king of a vast domain or be held in sin's dread sway. I'd rather have Jesus than anything this world affords today. Wow. Is that really how we feel? As we walk through this life day to day, can we really say we'd rather have Jesus? Most important thing is where your heart is. I've said this before, but it bears repeating. Your heart has to reach heaven before you do. That's what Jesus is saying. Wherever your heart is, that's where your treasure will be. If your heart is with Him in glory, then you are building stock. That never goes down, by the way. It doesn't go up and down. You know, like pork bellies. I don't even know what they are. Are they literally pork bellies? It's kind of weird. But anyway, it doesn't do that. It stays for all eternity. But there's another question Jesus asks. He doesn't only ask where your heart is. He asks, how are your eyes? Look at verse 22. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Now, let's, let's be honest. When you first look at those verses, for a long time I looked at those verses, I said, you know, like there's another commercial where it says, do you have a response to that? Uh, the caveman, it's a caveman commercial. He goes, yes, I have a response to that. What? <laughs> and that's the response I have when I looked at these verses. I'm like, what does that have to do, Jesus, with what you're saying? It's a little bit confusing. But I gave myself a hint on how to, find the answer and that's by looking at the context right look at what went before and look at what went after and notice it comes in the middle of jesus talking about how we deal with worldly wealth so obviously this eye metaphor he's using is used to illustrate the point he's making about money and here's what i think he's saying 
In terms of our perspective on money, Jesus is simply saying, if we're single-minded in our vision, having our eyes fixed not on material possessions, but the kingdom of God and His righteousness, then our whole lives will be filled with light. Then we'll have the right focus. You see that? We're not focused on material possessions. We're not focused on getting rich. We're focused on Jesus and His kingdom. Now, why would I say that? Because later on He says, seek first what? His kingdom and His righteousness. Then all these things, worldly possessions, will be added to you. You know, clothing, food, shelter. But if, here's the, let me give you the opposite of that. If we fix our eyes on worldly gain, we fix our eyes on greed, then our lives will be filled with darkness. Now this is what I believe he means. In other words, all of our judgment, all of our decisions, all of our focus and perspective will be clouded by the love of money. And this will pollute every decision. Every judgment we make will be polluted because we are focused on the wrong thing. So it will be askewed, our eyesight. Henrik Ibsen, I don't quote him a lot because I don't usually agree with many of the things he says, but I got to say he hit it on this one. He said this, Money may be the husk of many things, but not the kernel. Listen to this. It brings you food, but not appetite. It brings you medicine, but not health. It brings you acquaintances, but not friends. Servants, but not loyalty. Days of joy, but not lasting peace or joy. That's a heavenly perspective. You know, can't buy me love. Sorry. Can't. Money can't buy you love. So in effect, our Lord is saying this. How is your vision lately? And He's given us a spiritual eye exam in this passage. Many of us care enough to go get eye exams, right? Physical eye exams now and then. Make sure we're seen clearly. How much more importantly, Jesus is saying, how is your spiritual eyesight? Is anything obscuring it? Is anything making it fuzzy? I remember when I used to have a guitar that had pegs in it, an acoustic guitar. I was young. This is before the days of me having these things. And I had the peg, and, I, and you know how smart 19-year-olds usually are? I had a butter knife. Usually it's like whenever you use that as an instrument, you know you're in trouble when you pull out the butter knife, right? So I'm, I'm with this peg, and I'm going like this. And literally when I, when I went up instead of down, it shot. And I wasn't ready for it. It hit me right in the eye. Pow. Right in the cornea. And all I know is everything was blurry and scratchy. And, and you know, a young guy, you don't tell your parents because you don't want to go to the doctor. You know how that is, right? So I just kind of like faked the whole thing. So for all this time, I'm driving. I know you shouldn't. Do not try this at home. But, you know, all the signs are like blurry. And well, what happened was is... Years later, I just kept attributing the blurriness of vision to the thing that hit my eye. Well, when we were in seminary, I was in my 30s by then. Sorry. My wife's like, you're going to the eye doctor. I went, and the eye doctor's like, dude, <laughs> you, know, you seriously need glasses, of course. And the point is, here's the thing I'm saying. This whole time, I didn't realize how skewed my vision was. But I had astigmatism and something else. I needed an eye exam, right? And Jesus is saying, because sometimes we swim in this American culture... We, we buy into the values of America. We don't even realize it. Even sometimes it creeps into the church. And Jesus is setting our eyes straight. He's given us the spectacles of Scripture to look through. So we see, ah, that's how we should be using money. And that's where our heart should be. Listen, this is something that's telling. 
In their book, The Day America Told the Truth, James Patterson and Peter Kim write this. What are you willing to do for $10 million? Listen. Two-thirds of Americans polled would agree to at least one, some of them several of the following. Listen. 25% polled said they would abandon their entire family for $10 million. 25% said they would abandon their church. That doesn't really strike me. <laughs> 23% said they would become prostitutes for a week or more. 16% said they would give up their American citizenship. 16% said they would leave their spouses. 10% would withhold testimony and let a murderer go free. 7% would kill a stranger. Yeah. Listen to this one. I don't mean to laugh at this, but 3% would put their children up for adoption. <laughs> I'm sorry, but see what happens when you give these things uh, anonymously. The remedy to this type of eyesight And this heart problem is to fix your eyes on Jesus. And then your eyesight will be filled with light. Another quick hymn, all for Jesus. Since my eyes were fixed on Jesus, I've lost sight of all beside. So enchanted my spirit's vision looking at the crucified. That's the question. Is your heart in heaven with Jesus? Is that where your real treasures are? Are your eyes clear? Do they see... Are they focused spiritually on Jesus and His kingdom and His righteousness, not on money and trying to get rich? And then one more question he asks. Well, basically I ask it from his words. Who's your master? Look at verses 24, verse 24. No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other or he, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Listen, here's the issue. The problem is not in having riches or not having riches. The problem is when riches have you. That's what Jesus is saying. When riches have become your master. When you give your devotion, your love, your attention to worship the almighty dollar instead of the almighty God in heaven. The creator of heaven and earth. Money is a helpful servant. We need it in this life, believe it or not, to get things done. We had a fundraiser at Hope because we need to do kingdom work. We need money. It's a helpful servant, but it's a dreadful master. 1 Timothy 6, 6-10, real quick. Godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, we could take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. When you worship at the altar of the almighty dollar, you find that you'll never have enough and your life will be obsessed with not only gaining it, but keeping it. <laughs> right? Like when you get a new laptop, you're like, oh man, I can't bring that in the hood. Because you're, you're worried. You're like, and then your whole life is all anxious. That's why I have this nice old laptop I'm bringing to Italy. So it's like, eh, it's all right if it gets beat up. It doesn't have me, Lord willing, but I have it. How many people have sleepless nights, paranoia, and endless anxiety? Ecclesiastes 5.10 says this, Whoever loves money... <laughs> 
never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with his income. If that's not America, I don't know what is. You, ever, you know, these, these movie stars who, had, who buy like a billion dollar house, but they, they make, you know, <laughs> under that. It's like no matter how much you make, you always got to pew, 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 more. Someone asked John D. Rockefeller, you might remember this, how much money would be enough? Remember his answer? Just a little more. <laughs> But when you worship and you love and you adore and you're devoted to God and God alone, you'll discover a peace that surpasses all understanding and a master truly worth serving and living for. That's precisely what Jesus says the rest of the passage. We're not going to get into it this morning. But there's wonderful benefits of knowing, serving, and worshiping the true God of heaven and earth. One more hymn. I was in a hymn mood. Pardon for sin and a peace that endureth. Thine own dear presence to cheer and to guide. Strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. Blessings all mine with ten thousands beside. And you remember that song? Great is thy faithfulness. Jesus closes out the passage and we'll deal with it another time with telling us, therefore do not worry. God tells you, if you take my, heed my word and you worship me and you follow me, you won't have to worry about anything. I will make sure that you have food, that you have clothes, that you have a... That will be my priority for you. You've made my kingdom a priority. I will make you a priority. Do not worry. Seek first his kingdom, his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Where's your heart? How are your eyes? And who's your master? That's the question this week. I hope you can answer in a positive way. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you do provide for us, and sometimes, and many, most times, way more than we need. But we do pray, Lord, that you would help us to hold money very loosely and material possessions and to hold you very tightly by faith. Father, we pray that uh, money would not be our master but a servant, that we would use it to further your kingdom, that, Father, we would be able to get your gospel out and and relieve relieve needs and share with those in need, Lord. And we just pray whether we're well-fed or hungry that we could say like Paul, by your grace, we are content because we know to whom we belong and we know that someday we are going to our treasure. We don't have to amass it here. We pray it in your name, Jesus. Amen. This Sunday sermon was preached by the Reverend Dr. Santo Garofolo. New City's Sunday sermon is recorded live on location at New City Fellowship of Atlantic City. If you're in the Atlantic City area, stop by. Our address is 215 North Sovereign Avenue, Atlantic City, New Jersey. Visit us online at newcityac.org. That's www.newcityac.org. Oh God is written and performed by the Reverend Dr. Sandra Garofolo. Join us next week for a brand new New Cities Sunday Sermon.